It's great to see people look for ways to care for one another and then to go and do it. And I think that's part of what God was telling the people of Israel through Jeremiah way back when. Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, and to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's a lot of phrases. I'm going to try to help us get the picture a little bit. Jeremiah, a prophet, was writing to the exiles. He was living in Jerusalem. They had been sent to Babylon. Now, I always have in my mind that like everybody who was in Judea and Jerusalem were just up and taken over to Babylon. It's actually not the case. There are different estimates about how many. We're talking thousands of people who had been taken away captives, but then many thousands more who were still back in Judea, sort of an occupied land now. Somewhere around 597 B.C., Jeremiah is writing this letter, and he's kind of bridging the gap between those who are still back in Judea and Jerusalem, and he's writing to those who are over in Babylon in that captivity. So that's the situation. Some have been forcibly removed. Some are under uh, captivity in their homeland, and he's bridging that gap. The thing is, Jeremiah's letter sounded very different than what the people in Judea were hearing from others. Well, those who are still back in Jerusalem, Judea, were hearing from false prophets is that any day now we're going to be just fine. Any day now, God's going to come and send home the Babylonians. We're going to have our land back, have our life back, have everything back the way we always want it to be. Any day now, we're going to be all right. Which is what we want to hear, right? Day or two, God's going to take care of this thing I've been asking God to take care of. Any day now, God's got it all wrapped up. Power will be on any day now. We, we don't give God much time to take care of these things we've been asking God to work on. Jeremiah knew better. He knew that the people of Israel were going to be in captivity for a long time. That those who were in Babylon were going to be there for a long time. Those who were in Judea were going to be captives for a long time. He said what he needed to say. And then the question became, how would the people of Israel hear it? What would you do if the word came to you that for the rest of your life you were going to have to live outside of your home, away from your home, or if you were in your town as a captive? Sometimes the words we need to hear are not the words we want to hear. And sometimes the hopeful words we get describe a reality that is quite different than the one we might expect. While the Israelites who were in Jerusalem are hearing these misguided attempts at optimism, Jeremiah wrote about a future that a knowledge of which will change the present. If you know this future that Jeremiah is describing, then that can help you survive the future that you, the present that you deal with. He writes, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's not what the people in Babylon, the Israelites who are in Babylon expected to hear. That's not the word they hoped Jeremiah would say. They wanted Jeremiah to say, hunker down, we're on our way, God will bail you out any day now. Instead he wrote, you're going to be there a while, 70 years in fact. The false prophets in Jerusalem may be saying any day now, but you're looking at a lifetime in exile, a lifetime away from your home, a lifetime away from the center of your faith, a lifetime living among people you did not choose to live among. What will you do with your life there? I don't really know what that kind of exile is like. I've been a foreigner in foreign lands. I lived for three years in North Carolina. But whether I was across an ocean or across a state line, I knew, always knew I would come back. I always knew I had the resources to get me back home. Somewhere along the way, your ancestors and mine, well, they relocated. Some were exiles who were brought forcibly against their will to a land that they did not choose. Some were exiles who had felt the need to leave the land they were living in because of whatever problems were there and chose to come here. Some were adventuresome and wanted to see what this world might be like and made their way here. But, but almost every one of our exiles came to this land. Our, our ancestors came to this land as exiles. They were pushed out or chose to leave, but started a new life here, a place that was not their home. Now, of course, many tried to make this as much like their home as they could, tried to to bring as much here as they had left from there. My step-grandfather was one of those. He grew up in Poland and made his way to the United States after World War II. He settled in Queens, New York. He was a pharmacist up there. Later he married my grandmother and for 40 years they lived in small apartments in the Queens area of New York. When he retired, we encouraged them to move down here to come enjoy a little bit better climate, we thought, be closer to their family, to live near you were from, Grandma, enjoy a comfortable life. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't because in Queens he could walk to the store every day to get that day's needs just as he had done in Poland. In Queens he could live in tall apartment buildings with lots of people around him and ride the public transportations and enjoy real winters just as he had done in Poland. 
In Queens, he could walk to get a Polish newspaper and then to go to a worship service in a Polish language, as he had done in Poland. It was only after his death that my grandmother's exile to Queens ended. What my step-grandfather had done was create a life in a new land, aware that he would never return to Poland. He did his best to keep as close a semblance to his life in Poland as he could create. He did his best to find and and keep the closest ways of life. He, He did what God, through Jeremiah, told the exiles to do. He made a life. Build houses, plant gardens, have families. Be there because you are going to be there. I don't know if you consider yourself an exile in Florence. I hope not. I don't know if you consider yourself an exile in work or school. I hope it doesn't feel all like captivity. I do know that there's a sense in which we are all exiles wherever we live. As it says in the letter to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. Which means that we're all exiles here. The question is, how are we going to live this lifetime of being exiles from that home? Repeatedly in the Old Testament, God warns the people of Israel, don't take on all the ways of those you live among. Don't become just like those you're around. The people of God were to be set apart. Others should be able to look at them and observe them and think those are the people of God. It's no different for us. The baptized. Baptized into a life in Christ. People should should be able to watch us and recognize that we belong to God. How are you living? That gives someone the idea that you belong to God. If your response is, well, at least I don't live like they do, that's probably not the spirit we're looking for. Jesus, you'll remember, told a parable about people thinking that way. The two men who walk into the temple to pray and and one who feels pretty good about himself. At least he's not a thief or a rogue or an adulterer. And so there he is giving thanks to God. He, he looks over and sees the tax collector. At least I'm not like that man. And then to remind God how good he is, he told God, I fast twice a week and I give a full 10% of what I've been given. And then there's the tax collector who can't even look up He's so repentant for his life. He recognizes his need for God's mercy. He asks for forgiveness and Jesus says that's the one who's justified. Living our citizenship in heaven is not just being better than those we're around. And is not wishing we weren't here You sometimes hear it. Do you remember what God commanded the people, the exiles, to do while they were in Babylon? Build, plant, 
have families. They are to take up lives to demonstrate that they have a hope that there is a future, something better to come, and that they want to give themselves to, to that future. They are to create in a way that shows that God is with them in the present and will bring them into a better day. Rather than quit living because they aren't living where they want to live or quit living because they aren't living around those with whom they would like to live or quit living because things aren't just as they would have them be, they are instructed to go, to build, to plant, to have families, do active things that are about a better future, participate in bringing that better future to where you are Now, give yourselves to that. Don't condemn this new home you have in exile. Don't wish its destruction so that your redemption can come sooner. God commanded those exiled Jews to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. It's the kind of thing we've been up to this week. But not just this week. It's the kind of thing that Will and Yolanda and the teens, they take to Costa Rica Rica are up to every time they're down there. It's the kind of thing that my step-grandfather did in Queens where he could not create an exact replica of the home he had left. But he made a life that was as similar as he could make it in a place that was quite different. And so he walked to the subway and then he rode it to the hospital where he went to the pharmacy and he gave, he filled prescriptions for those who needed his care not asking if they were Polish or not. Not asking if they thought the way he thought or not. Not asking if they believed the way he believed or not. They came with need. He filled the prescriptions. They went home. It's something he learned in Poland. When he was a teenager, my step-grandfather worked for the, as a mail carrier. And he had on his route the Jewish ghetto. And here we'd go and he would deliver these letters and packages in the ghetto and he saw those people starving to death. And he began to slip bread into his milk pouch and deliver that with the mail. And I've always thought that was noble, but it was only when I realized that he did not like Jewish people. He was biased against Jewish people, and yet he still stuck that bread into his mail pouch and delivered it to the point that he got caught and sent to a concentration camp that I saw the faithfulness in it. As a child, I was interested in the number the Nazis had tattooed on his arm. Now I wish I could sit down with him and interview him. What caused you to risk your life for the sake of someone you didn't even like? My guess is it's because his citizenship was in heaven. But something about his faith told him 
You may not like them, but, but you can't not help them. And so he did. And I pray you and I will never have to endure what he did. But the scriptures tell us we're living in exile, whether we like this life we have or not, because our citizenship is in heaven, not in this life we're living in. It's just not yet fully the kingdom of God. So the question becomes, how will we help God to build His kingdom here? How will we anticipate this future that God has for us in such a way that we live that future now? Here, where we are with those whom we share, with whom we share this life, how will you seek the welfare of this place? Where are you living? I really believe how we live today expresses what we believe about tomorrow. That our faith, that God is one day going to make this what it's supposed to be, should impact what we do today for God's kingdom to come. It's why we care about the things we care about here. It's why we give the time we do to the things we give the time to. Glad you're part of it with us.